Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. This week, my guest is the lovely and talented Naomi Adele Smith, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of shit. We're going to delve into a lot of fantasy in this episode. I'm just going to warn you, because it's sci-fi in the title, but we're going to talk about fantasy, so fuck it. And we're going to talk about the idea of withholding information in fiction and what that does for the characters. It's actually incredibly interesting. I love this episode. It actually gets really, really personal later on in the episode. I, it, was, it was a little interesting listening back and editing this one. Uh, I said a lot of stuff that I never thought that I'd really talk about on the podcast. But when I listened to it, I felt like, you know what? This is all honest. So I'm going to just run with it uh, and leave it in. Because, uh, you know, I assume if you're listening to this, then maybe getting to know me as the host a little bit might be part of what's interesting about it. I hope. I think I'm an interesting person. I talk to myself all the time, and it's fucking fascinating and uh, it's really stimulating. In fact, I am talking to myself right now. I am just going on listening to myself talk. Ah, uh, uh, fuck. Let's just start this goddamn thing. sci-fi electro pop musician jesse mercury and i'm here with naomi adele smith hello who is a a synth wizard synth wizard in many groups Mm -hmm. you're in autumn electric you're like core member of autumn electric you've been in that band for five years maybe eight eight years to say yeah good god i I haven't even been alive that long (laughs) (laughs) uh you are in the johnny unicorn jam unit Mm -hmm. yeah and you're also in Johnny Unicorn. <laughs> occasionally. Occasionally. You are his girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. However that works. Yeah. I put things in him. I fed him last night. So. <laughs> uh, the reason I asked you here was just to talk about how, how that works, you and John. Oh. That's all I want to talk about. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm, kidding. I'm, no, I'm happy to talk about that. Oh, you, I, also, I'm in the Seattle Jewish Corral. You're in the Seattle Jewish Corral. Yes. And you work at a cat hotel. Right. And Puzzle Break. <laughs> You're kind of the most interesting person I know. <laughs> You're uh, like the guy from the Dos Equis commercials, except you don't have a beard. <laughs> Whenever people find out that right now I work at a cat hotel and at Puzzle Break, um, they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, those are so you jobs. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Yeah, because when I met you, you were working at, I want to say InGen, but that's the place from Jurassic Park. So <laughs> Amgen. Yeah, yeah. I was... Um, what was I doing? I was organizing their lab notebooks and archiving yeah. them. Yeah. Weird job. Yeah. But it was, you had great flexibility to go on tour, I remember. I yeah. remember being jealous. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, basically, you're always good to go on tour if you're okay with being broke afterwards. Yeah. Which we are because yes. going on tour is worth it. <laughs> yeah. So we've played in several bands together. Well, mm-hmm. several incarnations of the same band together. Yeah. Uh, I've played your stuff just for you. That's sometimes. true. Yeah. Yeah. You're like the only person who's done that. I uh, want to do more of that. Yeah. Me too. Yes. I keep getting offered these solo shows, so I haven't put a band together because. Don't they know? I don't know. But I got to say these solo shows have been rad. Yeah. Like, and you came with, you sang with me at the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you are the vocalist on Asteroid Field on my, my one song with the, 
the, the girl. It's you. It's you. <laughs> I'm the girl. <laughs> You're the girl. Yeah. You're Princess Leia in that song, and I'm Han Solo. It's really uh, great. Yes, it's my shininess moment. Yeah, that was yeah. so much fun to record. Um, yeah, you came over in the middle of the day, and we got really high, and we sang to each other, <laughs> and it was so much fun. Yes. Ah, that was a great experience. Oh, also, at the end of the podcast, we're, I want to sing that. I want to pull out my guitar and sing that with you. What? Yeah. All right, maybe I should not drink so much whiskey then. <laughs> you know, it, I'll leave it up to you. All right. Um, I'm just going to drink a whole bunch of black tea and be, like, really hyped up on caffeine because mm-hmm. I'm one of those bitches that doesn't drink coffee. So, like, green tea is my caffeine maximum. So when I drink black tea, I'm, like, on crack. <laughs> so, I used to work at Starbucks, and I used to drink like eight shots a day and it broke my insides. Yeah. 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 That's the horrible <laughs> thing about working at a coffee shop is just getting to make your own coffee all the time. It shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Totally. You should have to have your coworker like monitor your coffee intake. Although I was also one of those bitches who's like, none of y'all is making my coffee as good as I'm going to make it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Except for like Sarah and Ryan could make my coffee for me. Um, Cause it was made with extra love, but I like I like masturbatory lattes. I like to do it for myself, you know. Well, I no mean, one knows if, me like me. If Ryan and Sarah make it with extra love, that's almost as good, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. If they were to collaborate on a latte for me, that would be the ultimate. Yeah, but it wouldn't really be masturbatory anymore. No, anymore. that would be a gangbang. Yeah. Right. Or, well, orgiastic. What's geastic? Orgiastic. Orgiastic. <laughs> what's geastic? Geastic. Uh, what? Is the line between orgy and gangbang? Well, I think speaking orgy, of science fiction. Okay, speaking of science, uh, well, Robert Heinlein could probably address this, but really, uh, in what way? All I've well, read of Robert Heinlein is Starship Troopers. Oh my god! Okay, so he wrote this book called Time Enough for Love, and uh-huh. it is the most ridiculous book I have ever read. The main character is like two thousand years old. Only because he has really good genetics, uh-huh. and all of the women on every planet that he goes to constantly want him to sleep with them so they can have his babies because his genes are so good. And he's always Whoa. like, "No, no, I think you know, I just feel weird about it." And then they're like, "Come on, please, please do it me so I can have your babies." And he's like, "Okay, all right." Obviously okay. written by a man. All right, and then at the end of the book, well, near the end of the book, um, I think it's fine for spoilers it was probably written like 40 years ago do it um he goes back in time like thousands of years to uh before he was born uh-huh and like bangs his mom oh my or like God. i think actually there's a he's he was born but he's like a little kid did and he bang his, his mom on purpose yeah yeah he knew she was his mom and they like fell Ooh. in love and oh. hooked up oh yeah oh. and then oh. he goes back to his own time and later on he get he clones himself but he clones himself into females so he has these two twins twin women that are clones of him and then they're like oh you have to put your baby in me now and oh he's like uh oh okay so yeah. I have no desire to read this. Yeah, it this is, sounds awful. It was I like I don't know. Some of his concepts are really interesting, but that book in particular, because I liked Adore into Summer mostly because there's a cat in it. Um, <laughs> that's all it takes. Yeah, that's really all it takes yeah. for me. And How there do are you no feel cats. about Sir Pounce, um, uh, Tommen's cat in Game of Thrones. Oh, I yeah, cats in Game of Thrones. That's an interesting topic. Yeah, there's like Arya with the cat chasing. Oh, that's like, right. Chasing around the docks her, in uh, Bravos. It's part of her training in the like, books. to catch cats. Yeah. So you have to be really alacritous. 
Alacritous. What a great yeah. word. Anyway, so I think the difference between a gangbang and an orgy <laughs> is that a gangbang, it's a bunch of people all doing one person. Right. And an orgy is more mutual, like everyone's just, you know, everyone's mixing it up. Everyone. It's a mixer. Uh-huh. A sex mixer. And a gangbang yeah. is more like, you know, just sort of in line for one person. Perfect. Yeah. We solved it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So the theme for this episode is going to be talking about whatever random shit we want. Um, uh, this show is is kind of uh, just random. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I like about podcasting is that um, sci-fi is the theme, but we just go from there. So I definitely want to talk some fantasy with you. Yeah, definitely. I was going to um, – I wanted to talk about secrets yeah. in, in plot, and we're both big Robin Hobb fans, and yeah. she, like, does this all the time, so – yeah, I, I asked you what that. you'd want to talk about, and you recommended uh, the plot device of withholding information. I'm like, fuck yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's a great idea, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And it applies so much to so much science fiction and made me think about these things in a different way, which we're going to talk about and kind of explore, which Yay. would be awesome. But, uh, but yeah, let's talk about Robin Hobb for a minute before we get to that. <laughs> that's, that's the clinking of Naomi double fisting. And watching, I like to watch the... The bar go up. The oh, the waveform being drawn. Yes, on that's the computer. That's the word. It's really exciting. <laughs> uh, so, for anyone who's not familiar with Robin Hobb, she is totally my favorite author. Uh, she's a fantasy writer. It, mm -hmm. Robin Hobb is the pen name of Megan Linholm, and you know what's crazy is that Megan Linholm has written a bunch of sci-fi, and I haven't read any of it because yeah. I was so distracted by how good her other books were as Robin Hobb that I just keep reading them over and over. Is her sci-fi earlier? Yeah. 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 Okay. She's been exclusively fantasy for quite a while now, mm -hmm. as far as I know. Or yeah. at least under the pen name Robin Hobb, it's been exclusively fantasy. Yeah. Uh, and she wrote the Farseer trilogy, which was kind of her big break. And then she wrote the Live Ship Traders trilogy, which was loosely related. And mm -hmm. then the uh, the Tawny Man trilogy, which is the best thing I've ever read. Oh, the Tawny Man God. trilogy is fucking great. It's I try to explain it to people as being the intensity and emotional connectiveness of Harry Potter, but for adults. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. She has a real knack for character. Yeah, building. totally. Um, and the secret thing plays a big part of it. Everyone's withholding information from each other all the time. Yeah, it's wild. For their, like... Entire lives. Yeah, but they think it's for everyone else's good. So, right, yeah. It's which like makes it believable. This whole, uh, like, for the good of the kingdom, for the good of the realm thing, which comes up so much in fantasy. And then... I'd say that it's equivalent in sci-fi is in military science fiction. It's like for the good of mm -hmm. the country, for the good of the state. This comes up so much in Stargate. I was thinking about Ender's Game. Yeah. Where an intrinsic piece of information about how the world works is held from the main character. So that the main character makes questionable decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and Robin Hobb is currently writing a third trilogy about the characters Fitz and the Fool, which is everyone's favorite characters of hers. And the second book just came out, and you were the one who told me that it came out, because I, I follow her on Facebook, and I didn't even see the announcement that it was out, which oh, is crazy. What? I learned it from Trisha and my cousin, Seth. And yeah. Yeah. Trisha and I share a Kindle. Like, she just set me up on her Amazon account with my Kindle, and uh -huh. so we, like, read all the same books anyway. Oh, that's perfect. So she's like, yeah, I'm reading it. I bought it. Go get it. Yeah. Download it to your so Kindle. So you're a Kindle person. I'm a Nook person. Oh, I am a Kindle person because my family gave me a Kindle for Christmas once. That's why I'm a Nook person, except for this <laughs> Hanukkah. So... <laughs> 
Hmm, interesting. Cultural yeah. differences. So with no spoilers, how was book two of the Fits in the Fool trilogy? Uh, it was really satisfying in a lot of ways. Fuck yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it ends on a cliffhanger, of course. Of course. But, um, so did book one. Yeah. But so much of the stuff that I've been angry about for years, like, finally got communicated, which oh, I'm not going to That's awesome. That's why it. I loved uh, the Tawny Man trilogy so much, mm -hmm. is because the first trilogy is just all secrets. Nobody knows anything about anything. Yeah, And yeah. the second trilogy, uh, including the reader. So that's... This is since you mentioned this topic, I've been thinking a lot about withholding from characters versus withholding from the reader, mm -hmm. um, which oftentimes go hand in hand. But in the world of uh, the six duchies, which is where this takes place, there's just like intrinsic information about the world that is just not revealed. Yeah. About the nature of magic and dragons mm -hmm. and all of this cool shit. And so much of like Fitz's perspective is flawed because he doesn't mm -hmm. have this information we're getting all of our information through him for a lot of the book right like he doesn't know what the wit is right so he doesn't know that he's been receiving you know emotional sensations from animals that have been affecting his actions like his whole life yeah so and it's amazing to go back and reread that and know that he has this this ability to bond with animals mm -hmm. uh and see it happening from the beginning because the first time you read the book you're like what the fuck is going on you know but the second time oh he's feeling knows these emotions yeah um, yeah one of my favorite things about robin hobb is how she writes physical sensations into the characters like yeah. how their physical state affects their mental state she's yeah. really good at breaking that down and totally she's really good at describing magic and how it works and how it feels to be in inside of you mm -hmm. uh, and there's two types of magic in this world there's the wit and the skill the wit is a uh, ability to bond with animals and skill is more of a, a telepathy between um, people, between people. Yeah. yeah. But maybe the base of this is all the same source of magic and maybe, maybe not, you know, that's something that they don't really explain. Mm -hmm. But then there's this, these other books that are about um, dragons. There's the live ship traders trilogy, which is about the history of dragons more. Mm -hmm. And then there's the realm of the elderlings books, which is a quadrilogy. Have you read those? Uh, yeah, the, I consider the, like, Dragon Haven. Dragon Haven, yeah. Yeah. Did you read them? Yeah. Okay, good. They were nowhere near as good. I think, I feel like they're a little more juvenile fiction yes. or something. They were trying, I felt like she was trying to capitalize on the Twilight crowd. Mm, which yeah. Which surprised me. Uh, I will say that books three and four got progressively better. Book four was great. Yeah. But books one and two was just... It felt Hunger Games-ish, too. Yeah, she's like, like Thymera was like going through puberty and mm -hmm. discovering her desire to need to fuck boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, which we all go through. And also but, hunt. <laughs> and hunt, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but she got more interesting as the books went along. And then the fourth book I really liked because it kind of got into the nature of magic in this whole world. Mm -hmm. And you're three, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen books in to this world. Yeah. And still learning about yeah. the world, yeah. which is great. No, it's it's cool. She and George R. R. Martin are contemporaries. Like they, yeah, definitely. They're fans of each other. They always they went on recommended tour. each other's work like when they were both kind of starting out or like not as popular as they are now. And so yeah, totally. They're like buddies. Yeah. I, I saw some videos of them. Uh, they went on a Q&A tour where they just like sat down in front of a crowd and had questions asked of them. Uh, which seems a little unfair because I feel like more people are familiar with George R. R. Martin than they are with Robin Hobb. But maybe in these circles, they're equally known, I would hope. Yeah, maybe. Um, I also, I just finished reading Game of Thrones. 
book five. Ah! Uh, and I, I was reading Game of Thrones concurrently with a reread of of the Farseer trilogy and the Tawny Man trilogy. Oh, wow. Hub. Okay. And it's such a stark contrast between the writing skill of these two people. <laughs> um, where Robin Hobb, I feel like, is one of the best writers alive. She has some poetry in her, for it's sure. amazing. Yeah. I mean, her world building, her use of language mm -hmm. is phenomenal, mm -hmm. touching, um, explosive. I love it. And George R. R. Martin very intentionally is very dry yeah he's pragmatic yeah pragmatic's a, a good word for it he gets a lot of information in there and like his um you know his web of the game of thrones and all that is really intricate and fascinating but it's yeah. not as like poetic yeah and it's unfair for me to say that that's skill because who knows it's it's very intentional so yeah. it's style it's yeah. not skill i much prefer robin hobb's style mm. uh i did enjoy game of thrones but I didn't love it. Like there was no moment where I was just, I, I never had a moment where I tipped over into loving it, where I'm like, well, now I'm into this. And this is the thing I'm into. You mm. know what I mean? Which is precious to me to yeah. say that I'm into something. Yeah. And I am into Robin Hobbs books. So you watched the show, the first four seasons of the Game of Thrones show, and then read the books? and Yeah. I started reading book one, I think while season three or four was on the air. Mm -hmm. And I finished book five. Before I started watching season five, which I just started yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so now, I, for the first time, I'm watching show that I have read. Right. So you know. I've crossed over. You've yeah. crossed over. <laughs> I've crossed the Rubicon. Yeah. I am now, I'm now one of those people, it's like, that's not what happened in the book. Oh, no. As of yesterday. <laughs> See, that's why I don't watch the show, because I, yeah. I don't want to be one of those people. I love that the show exists. Yeah. It was, you know... It was dark times way back in, in the early 2000s when I read Storm of Swords and the Red Wedding happened and nobody in the world oh, seemed man. to understand why I was so upset. Jesus. And then now, like, everyone knows who the Lannisters are and who the Targaryens are. And it's just so much, like, nerdy gratification for me yeah. to, like, just have it be ubiquitous. So. Man, I would feel that way if uh, if a show was made out of... Farseer trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If everyone was like talking about Night Eyes. Oh my God, Night Eyes. Oh, yeah. That's I, one thing Robin Hobb and George R. R. Martin both do is like the person wolf bond. Yeah. Yeah. I have a shout out to Night Eyes in one of my songs. Ah. And um, the song that we used to play when ah! we were Plaxmith and Unicorn. What? Which uh, one? Who? Why? All the bellhops are spies. Uh huh. Um, I love that song. Yeah. What are the lyrics? Uh, when the street lights glare and your night eyes stare. <laughs> you, you've, you've heard this a thousand I times, like right? I like saying that. I, I sang a that. harmony. And I didn't, I mean, I think I, pars I parsed it. Yeah, well, as, it's but... it's in a completely different context. Yeah. And it's it's like night eyes. But yeah. I chose those words because of night eyes. Aww. Because of the wolf in the books. Yeah. Who's, who's the best character? Yeah, yeah. Jesus, God. My friend Jordan got me into those books. <laughs> These are the books that a friend always got you into, right? Uh, yeah. You, you don't just oh, yeah. find these books. Mm -hmm. It's like a friend was like, dude, you got to read these books. Mm -hmm. uh, and it has to be that way because the first book of the Farseer trilogy is a little dry at first. Yeah. And it, I think this is also intentional is because it's written in first person narrative from uh, Fitzchivalry Farseer's point of view, um, which is a great name. Like he, he's the bastard son of of Prince Chivalry Farseer mm -hmm. and Fitz means bastard. So yeah. he's Fitz Chivalry Farseer. And it's kind of, at first, it's because he doesn't have a name. 
uh, like no one knew what his name was when he was abandoned as a six year old boy. So mm -hmm. they just start calling him Fitz. Yeah. Uh, which but, just means bastard. Which means bastard. Yeah. But then his real name became Fitz Chivalry Farseer, mm -hmm. which was a cool moment in the book, in the first book. But anyway, when the story starts, he's six years old and it's a first person narrative. So he doesn't uh, remember as well. And then as he gets older, the books become so much more fleshed out, not only because you're learning more about the world, but because his memory gets stronger. Mm -hmm. I really think that that was intentional. Yeah. Harry Potter does that too. Or J.K. Rowling does that with Harry Potter. Like, yeah. The nature of the books changes as the characters get older and more mature. Yeah, totally. Which is really cool. And it's just so good. Which reminds me something. Uh, have you heard the theory that Game of Thrones is actually science fiction? John loves that theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I hope that's what it turns out to be. I feel like some of the really good fantasy series is, have elements of sci-fi in them. Like, yeah. Robin Hobb gets into some interesting like technology and science sometimes, but... Um, it's pretty hard. Robert fantasy, Jordan. Though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Robert Jordan also gets into what did he write? He, Wheel of Time. Oh, right. I haven't he, read that yet. Yeah, it's long. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I'm sure I'll read it someday. Yeah. I've been reading fantasy nonstop for years, and it's time to switch back to some like pure sci-fi for a while. Mm. Although I did read uh, Hyperion. Oh. And The Fall of Hyperion. Yeah. Which were astonishingly good. I, yeah, I love that series. Yeah, I, you Simmons. should read Endemion and Rise of Endemion. I will, for sure. I think I, those are even better than the first really? two. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's great news. Yeah. I, I wanted to take a break and go back and reread those two first because they're so good. Yeah. But, uh, so this theory about Game of Thrones is that because, uh, you know, everyone knows winter is coming, you know, but winter's coming because they have summer for decades mm -hmm. and their seasons last for decades. So the idea is that this isn't actually Earth that this is some planet in some crazy orbit around some distant sun that has sort of parallel um, culture to our own. And at some point it will be revealed that this is not Earth. I don't believe this theory. I don't think this is true. Mm. I think that it's just fantasy. I think that we're in a fantasy world and the seasons are different lengths. What do you think? Um, that's interesting. It actually, that makes me think of Battlestar. It's uh -huh. one of those things where I feel like it just doesn't matter that much to the totally. story. It doesn't. Anyway, like, I mean, it, it would be cool if it were sci-fi, but it's it's basically just a plot device to have the seasons be like that. I think, my theory, you know, from what I yeah. feel like reading the books. So, um, it's like with Battlestar, like, the whole mythology of why they're trying to find earth and the 13th tribe and yeah. all that just doesn't seem to matter that much it's more about you know what's happening in the then and now totally it's just richness to the world mm -hmm. i would say yeah I, I remember being a kid and like all the sci-fi fantasy stuff was always in the same aisle it's like they don't get their own uh aisles you know right, like right. sci-fi fantasy is a genre mm -hmm. which is funny and i i just signed up for a free month of hbo now so i could watch game of thrones <laughs> and then cancel it <laughs> but all their sci-fi movies are uh, sci-fi slash horror. Like, that's how it's arranged. So it's interesting that sci-fi oh. often isn't left alone. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I think it's, you know, so I just finished Frasier, and yeah. there is a lot of nerd shaming in that show, even though I'm sure that, like, the people who write the show are incredibly are nerdy. But I, I feel like... Like with Noel? Yeah, like with Noel. Mostly with yeah. Noel, but... You know, a, yeah. just there's a lot of like 
in society still, I think there's a lot of that. Even nerd though, shaming. Even though nerds are basically taking over the world now. And not basically, but actually. But actually. So yeah. are you are you thinking that like sending all the nerds to one aisle is the, is the idea? Yeah, like, let's yeah. get the nerds over there in the, I mean, in the Barnes and Noble. Sci-fi, it's not a legitimate like its own thing that's just a sci-fi fantasy that bullshit that people who don't care about real stuff read you know interesting that's i don't i don't know anything about the industry so this is just off the top of my head but well it's funny because i love them both you know i'm i am the target market yeah and i love them both me too i'm happy to have them mixed together it looks just like my bookshelves i would love to i would love to read some sort of um like fantasy novel where there's people with swords and shit, but they're in space. I have I, what am just I, I'm describing a Star Wars. It's I, Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is like that. Yeah, Star Wars is more fantasy with ships. That's exactly what we yeah. talked about in the last podcast. Is that I I think that it's it's very much a hybrid of sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, I read a series. I'm trying to remember the author's name, but the first uh, book is called The Dreaming Void, and it's it's hardcore science fiction. You know, like. I would say it's medium to hard sci-fi, but there's a whole thing that happens in it that's just pure fantasy too. Like there's huh. a, a, you know, a separate part of the story where there's just a fantastical aspect of it. And so I recommended. I thought it was really good. Cool. They also my favorite concept that they had in the book was um, a way of existing as a person where you can be a multiple. So instead of just having one body and one mind, you have one mind, but you have like as many other bodies as you want cool and your um like linked your mind is just linked up with all these other body brains so you're all being controlled by the same mind but your other bodies can go and do work for you oh. or so it's like the borg almost it's really interesting but it's like willing like you yeah. don't go you don't recruit people against their will you just like happen to get a body you're what's like, this called um this was called the dreaming void um, I'm trying cool. to remember the name of the author, but I know that it's like all three of the books have the word void in them. Um, have you read Altered Carbon? No. Uh, but I think it's Richard Morgan who wrote it. Uh, one of my absolute favorite sci-fi books. And it's in the future where consciousness has been digitized. Mm. So you have what's called a cortical stack, which is like a disc in the back of your neck that contains your consciousness. So if your body is killed, they can just pull your stack and then put you into another body. So it's this whole society that's based off of... Um, the idea that death doesn't really exist, but you can only afford another body if you're rich. So if you don't have money, when you die, you just go into storage and they just hold you there. Um, whereas if you're rich, you can actually afford to have your own body cloned and then be put into another version of yourself when you die. And they call those people Methuselahs because they kind of live forever. I love how socioeconomic issues always play out in science fiction books. Oh my god, so much, right? Yeah. Um, Harry Purian, that series has a little fantasy aspect to it as well. I yeah. think some of the best sci-fi has like a tinge of, you know, a fantasy. A fantasy. Yeah. Let's talk about the line. Where do, where would you put the line between sci-fi and fantasy? Oh my god, I don't want to draw a line. Why can't it all just be one happy book? Yeah. Um, it, um, we talk about genre a lot on the show, and yeah. it's something I'm really interested in because uh, the idea of being hard sci-fi or hard fantasy, I think, is a little limiting, where you should, as a storyteller, have the option to go in any direction you think the story needs to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then there's all these people that get all up in arms about, you know, like, oh, Game of Thrones isn't is like pop fantasy. It's not like hard fantasy. I'm like, fuck you, you know? 
What it's pretty even, hard fantasy. What do they even mean by that? Not hard fantasy. I think what they mean by that is I that. I don't know what hard fantasy is. I guess. I, I think if it's if it's not hard to read. <laughs> oh, so like um, Lord of the Rings is hard fantasy. I I think that it implies a level of like scholarship and seriousness to it. Like hard sci-fi, I'm thinking of like Arthur C. Clarke. I'm thinking of. Uh, Werner Vinge. Have uh, you read any? Werner I haven't. Vinge? Like Isaac Asimov. Mm-hmm. Who's Werner Vinge? Um. You should you you should read Werner Ridge. Okay. I'll just say that I think I think your audience would agree. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll check it out. Yeah, uh, and then something like like pop fantasy would be like Twilight, you know, where mm-hmm. it's it's more like superficial, um, and it's not necessarily trying to get a point across, or uh, it's trying to be entertaining, mm-hmm. which I think is a very lofty goal. So I yeah. I think that this whole debate is ridiculous because I think if you're entertaining people, you've succeeded. I mean, I think there's a lot of, I mean, have has this person who says that Game of Thrones isn't hard fantasy, like, looked at the back of the books and seen the index of all the, like, houses and yeah. all the different, you know, genealogies that are happening? There's just so yeah. much complicated stuff going on in those books. Game so. of Thrones is an interesting, I think Game of Thrones is kind of crossing the divide because I would definitely consider Game of Thrones to be hard fantasy, where it's incredibly detailed, incredibly complex. But at the same time, it has a pop audience. Uh, and I think that that... It didn't used to. It didn't used to. Right, exactly. And that's where it's crossed over. So I think that there's this weird idea that if something has reached a pop audience, then it's no longer like hard literature, which mm. is so silly. Mm. Um, yeah. It used to be, I remember back in the day, yeah. um, I could be sitting on a bus, and if someone was reading a George R. R. Martin book... We would like immediately become friends, cool. like if we were both reading George R. R. Martin. And now everyone's reading it, but right. like you know, in two thousand three, you're like, oh my god, a kindred spirit. You're one of the only other people I've ever met that wow. you know knows what's going on here. Um, and now it's everyone. It's everywhere. Now, you see yeah. it on every bus. Yeah. yeah, every every person on every bus is reading it. I think yeah. that I know of. So why why does our society diminish things when they become popular? What's the deal? Yeah, like those people who refuse to read Harry Potter because it's so popular. Oh, those they, people are so dumb. Harry Potter's so, so angry. good. It, I I love Harry Potter so much. It's it one makes of the, me cry. Yeah, it's one of the most satisfying reads of my life. Mm-hmm. I've read it. I mean, I've read the first four or five books at like four or five times. I've read. Yeah. Like I've read them all fewer as they go along because I would reread before the next one would yeah, come out. Yeah. I've read the last one twice. Mm-hmm. But the first time I read it, I read it in a 24-hour period. Yeah, me too. Uh, and the second time I read it, I remembered everything. It wasn't like I needed to reread it because I was captivated. Uh, I think that the movies don't even come close to being as good as the books. No, but even before the movies, the books were so popular that people were – those sorts of people were refusing to read them. You know? Yeah, Just, I think, which is weird. You know, I – I get this way too, and I'm not already into something and everyone likes it. I'll yeah. do the same thing, even though I know it's wrong and bad. Yeah. I used to do that, and now I've I've been like made to look foolish enough where <laughs> when people tell me game like Breaking Bad's the best show ever, I'm like, Well fuck you. Star Trek the Next Generation's the best show ever, but then eventually yeah. I'm like, Okay. Firefly. Firefly's the best show. Eventually I'm like, Okay, I'm gonna watch Breaking Bad. And it was awesome. I mean it was so good. I loved every moment of it, mm-hmm. you know? Is it the best show ever? Could be. I mean, it's very good. <laughs> it's very fucking good. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people love things because they're great, you know? And maybe reaching that level of pop culture phenomenon is 
the highest form of praise that a piece of art can have. Yeah, I think that there's just this um, kind of snobbishness of discriminating and like just having a small selection of people know about something. It's yeah. like, you know. It makes you feel like part of the club, like yeah, it's special. like the wine club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Corkmaster. Oh, God, I love Frasier. <laughs> I love it so much. Have you seen Lego Frasier? I saw the picture that someone posted yeah. on your internet. Audrey sent it to me. Yes, Audrey. Yeah. Yeah. I have now had three people that live in one house on this podcast because you and Audrey and John all live together. Oh, my God, we do. Yeah. Whoa. Isn't that weird? Whoa. What other oh. roommates you got? Uh, <laughs> get, Sarah. We'll get Sarah on Sarah is in Berlin right now. That's right. She's visiting Max. Visiting Max. Yeah. I love Max. I, yeah. Everyone. I'll have to get her on the podcast so I'll have the entire family. Yeah, you That'd should get her. She could talk about, um, like, dead bodies or... That would be great. Um, she, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but she used to do fecal transplants. What um, <laughs> the fuck is a fecal transplant? Uh. For people who have, like, really bad, um, like, Crohn's or uh -huh. that kind of thing, like, horrible bowel issues, yeah. um, there's bacteria in good poop that uh, they need it's that they don't have. And, this is much better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and so, like, they get, uh, they've, they've been, like, doing experiments with this for a while now. Uh -huh. So the UW has a program that was doing it um, where, like, they put people's poop who have good poop into people who don't have oh. that bacteria. And nope, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah. That's, yep. that's what I was afraid that, of. I'm sorry. It went there. And so, so yeah. you were literally putting someone's poop into someone else. Yes. I mean, it's a great idea. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it will help their horrible condition. And my initial revulsion is something I will be embarrassed about later. When no, I no. I mean, it makes... But anyway, so she could talk about that. She's also... Um, she's about to start grad school and do... Uh, Masters of Public Health. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, she's awesome. Um, she, I hope she drags Max back here with her. I know that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. We Max was our guitarist for a while. Yes. In the Johnny Unicorn Jam unit. He is still our guitarist. Still is. Forever. Used to be and still is too. <laughs> I own. By the way, I own people that I do music with. So you're oh. like one of my songwriters. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's nice. And you're also my drummer. I'm your drummer. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's when you and I sync up best is when <laughs> I'm playing drums mm. because because uh, you as a synth wizard, you're playing like the bass part, the mm -hmm. the lead part, the chords and singing. Yeah, um, I'm using all of my limbs, all of your limbs <laughs> and all your brains. Is the voice a limb? Yes. Okay. Um, and <laughs> and then I, I think like, I don't know, we have very good uh like, we have a very good musical connection where we sync up really well. Yeah. Which is fun. Asteroid Field is a is proof best. of that. Proof of that. Yes. Absolutely. It's very romantic. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, withholding information in sci-fi. Okay. Uh, as, as a plot device, I want to bring up some examples that I thought about since you recommended this. Uh, Ender's Game. Have you read Ender's Game? I have. It hasn't, not in a long time, but I read all of the, like, Ender's Game, oh, uh, the... Speaker for the Dead. Oh, great. So yeah, they're so good. Yeah. Um, so in the first book, this is this is a spoiler, and I don't. I usually am. I, I'm I'm a little. So I hate spoilers. I hate when people spoil things for me. Um, There's I, a statute of limitations. Like, yeah. Like you know. I haven't been too careful on this show about spoilers because I feel like if the episode's like, yeah, it's about Jurassic Park, then you you can go into it knowing that you should have seen the movie. <laughs> but in this case, spoiler alert for Ender's Game. Mm. Uh, just skip a couple minutes later in this podcast if you haven't read this book. 
But in Ender's Game, you have this kid who is being trained in battle school to uh, basically to lead attacks. Uh, and then he's doing these virtual reality attacks against the buggers, which is this um, insectoid race. It's not the name that they have for themselves, it's like this derogatory name that humans have for this race. And at the end of the book, you find out that he actually uh, destroyed their home world when he thought that he was doing a virtual reality simulation. So the entire story, the information that's withheld from him is that all of these simulations he's doing are real. And everyone around him who is an adult knows this and are training him to commit mass genocide. And then he succeeds and they win the war and then he finds out that he's done it. Um, Man, that gave me tingles, that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I get tingly just thinking about it. It's a brilliant book. It's a classic for a reason. I love that this is turning into a book podcast. Now. I know, this is great. I love that. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> this is like fantasy with Jesse Mercury. <laughs> yeah. So the idea that someone could be forced to do something against their will due to lack of information uh, is, can be taken to its extreme in the sci-fi setting because then you can get to the point where like, he's committing a, a Hitler-esque act and he's a very intelligent, special uh clever young boy and it's really yeah. fucked up yeah know? like he's conscientious yeah uh, and ender's game the actual game is this virtual reality game that's based off of his subconscious that he plays and it's kind of a way for the adults to monitor him and kind of figure out what's happening in his mind and it reveals a lot about his psyche so you you learn a lot about ender during the the book and you know that he would never willingly commit mass genocide when he does it and you also are kind of clued in before it happens that it's real based off the way that the adults are acting mm -hmm. because it's really well written yeah by orson scott card yeah um so it's an incredibly effective book uh but that that idea that the main character doesn't even know what he's doing is so frustrating and that reminded me a lot of lost also Did i you... never saw lost oh interesting uh lost is definitely a sci-fi show anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong okay um but all these characters are trapped on this island where all this weird shit is happening. Uh, and none of them really know what's going on, but they all have to make decisions about what to do and how to survive. And they do it with no information. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say Battlestar Galactica is very similar in that way also. We're kind of li living in this time where most of our pop culture, like TV, sci-fi stuff, is uh, like dystopian like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're pushing forward anyway. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of mirroring society. It's like in the sense that we get our information from horribly untrustworthy sources all the time. And who knows what's actually going on out there? Yeah, absolutely. And so we have to make all our decisions based on pretty much nothing. Yeah. Real. And that's, I think that's like the point of these stories is to point out to you that you're doing that on a daily basis. Yeah. Ah, like, creepy. Yeah. That's why I like this idea so much is because... That's what I've taken from it over the years. The idea that uh, everything that Ender was taught in his battle school prepared him to commit mass genocide. But because he's in this system, he doesn't question it because he's a part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like when, you're brought, when your parents send you off to battle school and like, you think that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do when you grow up, you don't question it. Like that's what happened to me. You know, I went to college. Oh, um, <laughs> not like, battle school. No, I, well, <laughs> shh. I can't talk about that. Right. I can't talk about my time in battle school. No, but like, I think about this. I, I grew up, I was encouraged to go to college, so I did. I was told as a kid that you have to go to college. Yeah. That you can't have a, a career, that you can't make money, that mm -hmm. 
or, or, or you'd be very lucky to do so if you don't have a college degree. They just make it seem like your only option. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that, that's so untrue. And I, I mean, I'm not saying anything against my parents here. Like, my parents are, the, like, the best parents you could possibly have. They are. You know. I can guarantee that you know. that is the truth. Yeah. Because I've met them. They're wonderful. Yeah. And, and your mom college, made you Seahawks socks that you're wearing did, right now. wearing right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> going to college is, like, a great thing that everyone who can do should do. But... Is it the only option? Absolutely not. Um, do I, I... I went to San Diego State, and I was a music major, and I felt like I was wasting so much time uh, because I had to do all these other courses, you know? I had, like, Psych 101, where the teacher doesn't give a shit that he's there, the kids don't give a shit that they're there, no one's learning anything, but they're all still passing because it's easier to just do it that way. Yeah. What a fucking waste, you know? Like, that is a goddamn waste. Uh, I did have like like you know some like lit 101 classes that were really interesting that I got a lot out of, and I did have some music classes that I got a lot out of. But I also had a ton of music classes that I got nothing out of. It's like the emperor's new clothes in a way. People are like, no, no, college is great, or well, you got to jump through the hoops in order to prove that you did it. Right. But really, there's so much that you're not getting out of it at the time. Right. It's just like... You're being put in a system and you're just accepting it and then you're following the motions that other people tell you to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it, isn't that what these stories are trying to teach us is that maybe we shouldn't do that? Maybe you should seek out information on your own and make your own decisions? Yeah. It's nice to be told that through stories because I never would have figured it out on my own. Like, totally. I... You know, John is a really good example of someone who started being skeptical, I think, just entirely on his own. And he started yeah. questioning the world when he was six or seven. And for me, I just, I'm very trusting. I uh -huh. always just accept the information that people give me, you know, like my seventh grade social studies teacher taught mm -hmm. us about how horrible communism was right. and that kind of thing. And I went home and told my mom all about it. And she was like, well, you know, did you here? Here's a copy of the Communist Manifesto, Naomi. And I'm like, oh, whoa, you have that? And <laughs> she's like, you should just read it. Yeah, but, you, you should know. just read it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, oh, that's this is it. This like tiny little boring right. <laughs> book. It's so funny. Like communism is so vilified. Like communism is is the buggers mm -hmm. in Ender's Game. Yeah. Where you just hate. You just don't don't look for information because it's easier to hate mm -hmm. when you don't have the information. Yeah. And it's uh, so easy to get a bunch of kids to do do something oh, totally. or feel a certain way. Like our social studies teacher was like, imagine working at a chair factory and you make a bunch of chairs and then your coworker just sits there and like doesn't make chairs at all, but you guys get paid the same and that's communism. Huh. <laughs> and so that's just, you know, who knows how many kids grew up with like a really warped view on the whole thing because of that. I'm lucky I had my mom to, you know, point out facts, but yeah. Yeah. I, my friends uh, in high school had like a communist club or like a socialist <laughs> club. What was it called? Um, yeah, I don't remember too many specifics except uh, this kid, Jake Thorne, was like running it. Um, and he actually passed away. It's like one of the biggest regrets in my life was not visiting him in the hospital because I was scared. Um, and he, I guess he like had made it known that he wanted oh i shouldn't talk about this he like wanted me to come visit we, i have had this exact same experience are you serious day. yeah oh man and we were we were never like super close friends but we were i mean we were friends like we were i'd, I'd put us past acquaintances um for sure 
and like we definitely like respected each other a lot and i love the fact that he was kind of spearheading this like communist club which was kind of hilarious he sounds cool he was a great guy um but i didn't know him super well and the idea of going to see him in the hospital scared the shit out of me because i'm like well i don't i don't know what to do you know and i don't know him that well and i'm afraid to see him like this and he'll be out of the hospital soon so what's the so i'll see him when he gets out oh god and then he passed away um and I went to this bonfire where his family was there and they, I talked to his dad, I think it was his dad who told me, like, I really, like, Jake really liked your music and he just thought you were such a nice guy and he really liked your friendship. And I almost like, uh... lost it because I, you know, the finality of what had happened was so shocking because you don't, I really assumed that he was going to be fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even when you have all evidence to the contrary, it's really hard to except yeah. the fact that someone's about to die right and, so never yeah. never assume a goddamn thing you yeah know? yeah for, for a while after that i would make sure to tell my parents i loved them every night before i went to sleep because what if i died in my sleep you know yeah i mean and the important thing you know not for your friends family and friends but you know for you going on is that you did learn something and it made yeah. you appreciate life more yeah, totally. And you think back to this person and he makes you, like, have a better life. Yeah, uh, for sure. Every time something like this happens, it just makes me do more with my life and my time, you know? Yeah. Like, my, my other friend passed away, Brian Osper, who was a brilliant guitarist. The first band I was ever in, he was the guitarist. Have I seen pictures of that? I don't know. Okay. I don't have many pictures of that. Mm -hmm. It was called The Sprawl, and I played <laughs> drums. And the first time I ever saw marijuana was our first band practice. <laughs> I didn't smoke it, but I saw it. I was like, what am I getting myself into with these hooligans? Uh, Chad Deal was in that band. And then uh, Brandon Guthrie joined later on, who was my neighbor. Brandon used to come down to my house and we would play Metallica songs with me on the drums. Nice. <laughs> and I, I don't like Metallica. I've never liked Metallica. But uh, I love the song Call of the Cthulhu. And... I used to, like, and I was the only person that Brandon knew who could play the drums well enough to do it. So <laughs> we'd, like, play that together. And then I ended up in this band, and he was the guitarist that I knew. So I'm like, we should have him play with us, too. And um, it was wild. Like, I, I I, had just been listening to, like, Dave Matthews Band and Squirrel and Zippers and Star Wars soundtracks. I didn't know shit about rock and roll, you know? <laughs> yeah, so these guys, like, introduced me to, like, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, mm. uh, Black Sabbath, um, and... I just like dived headfirst into that whole world. ACDC it was a wonderful experience. But anyway, so this guy, Brian, oh, this is why you've heard of this because remember when we went on tour, we went to Arcata and uh, that's where he was living. Oh, he was in a band called Bucky Walters. That was like really well known in the neighborhood. And we played a show there and there was like posters for Bucky Walters on the wall. Mm. And he had died in a car accident. Oh my God. Um, earlier that year. Okay, yeah, that's all starting to sound familiar now. Yeah, like the house that yeah. we stayed at that night, there was a Bucky Walters poster on the wall. Oh, that was Chris Pereira's house, probably. That like, sounds he's right. He set up the show for us. He's a big music guy in Arcata. Yeah, that was the night where we went to stay at someone's house, and she's like, well, who wants a joint? And everyone got their own joint. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's really funny that the first time you saw marijuana was at your like first band practice. Because the yeah. first time I ever tried to join a band... Like outside of school, I showed up just to do backing vocals for a few things, and that was the first time I saw marijuana too. So really, I was like twenty 
in college and yeah yeah i didn't smoke it or anything i was like whoa <laughs> that's what happens at band practice <laughs> i was a i think i was a sophomore in high school mm. and i didn't my first time i ever smoked i was a i was like a junior so i waited a little while yeah uh but yeah he he passed away and he was one of the best musicians i've ever known or played with he was like a, an absolutely like touched guitarist where he had it you know yeah uh and also just like a brilliant human being just like mm -hmm. wonderful caring loving guy who was just so fucking cool and i was just like such a nerd you know didn't know shit about anything i'm like why are these guys playing music with me i don't belong here i gotta try to be cool so i could hang out with these guys <laughs> um but he died right before i released time child and it was kind of uh why i did like I pushed myself to make this music video is because I wanted to do something, you know, because uh, you never know how long you're going to be around. And if you feel the, the need to do something, then you got to do it mm -hmm. right the fuck now. Like yeah. you got to wake up and just do it. Do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I like kind of treasure the memory of Brian and of Jake because shapes who I've become and what I do. Yeah. What what was your story with your friend? You said you had a very similar story. Yeah, it was actually someone I dated for two years. Holy shit. Um, in college. His name was Trevor. And I need to show you some of his Star Wars fan films. Yes. Because they're hilarious. Oh my god. Um he wrote some he wrote one called Lumber Jedi that <laughs> I I saw before we dated. I like I saw him I met him because he was playing trombone in a production of The Wizard of Oz in Port Angeles where I went to high school and it was like right after I graduated high school and he was the only tromboner. There were a bunch That's of like so romantic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were a bunch of other trumpet players, and I ended up like finding his name and emailing him afterwards to tell him that he did a really good job being the only trombone player and like holding huh. the you know holding it together despite the fact that he was the only one. And yeah. um, we corresponded and ended up dating for a couple of years. And uh, he got me into Robin Hobb, and he got me into George R. R. Martin also, wow. and probably like multiple other things that. I don't even remember now, but those are the two most important ones, especially the Robin Hobb. Yeah. Um, he was the one that brought Assassin's Apprentice and was like, you have to read this. I just finished these. They're great. And, <laughs> um, but after we broke up, he ended up getting cancer. And wow. it was, I was in my, like, we just broke up and I don't really want to see you because we broke up. You know, I'm like, I need my space. Yeah. And Which so, is a, va a very valid thing to feel. Yeah. But I also wanted to stay friends with him and he wanted to have my friendship and I would like, you know, withhold. I'd be like, I'd see him less than he wanted. And then when he got cancer, I didn't visit him as much as I should have. And yeah. I felt like awful about it afterwards um, because Oof. he did end up having like this two year battle and then dying. And wow. he was just an amazing person, I, even even though like I was a dick to him. He like, never said anything bad about me ever and just always was like really nice and loving to the very end. And so yeah. he but, like shapes a lot of my personal choices. Just the totally. fact that I'm like, would would Trevor be into this? Would Trevor like John? Trevor would definitely like John. <laughs> it's it's hard to make choices when you're young that that are the wrong choices that then resonate into your adult life. Um, that's exactly how I felt about Jake. Like I made the wrong choice and it was an irrevocable choice. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where, how easy would it have been for me to go visit him? So yeah, easy. Yeah. So easy. You know? Seriously. And the I... only thing stopping me was this ridiculous fear 
that I let stop me. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Um, but yeah, we learn and yeah. grow. The, your story. Uh, um, I, I had, I had testicular cancer a year ago and having cancer is like the most bizarre experience ever because everyone instantly treats you so differently. Oh, um, I bet. Yeah. And in, in a way Just that, like, kinda, Oh, I see. Like they think it's almost contagious or something. Yeah. It's the way that I treated Jake where I was afraid to see him because looking at your own mortality is terrifying. Yeah. And seeing someone that you know as vibrant and healthy and very similar to you going through something like that is terrifying. Um, because it makes you feel like you are vulnerable. So you avoid it. Yeah. You know, I think that's, I think that's. Which the... is like an immature reaction, but we all have to be immature before we get mature. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, can't yeah. like blame anyone for feeling that way because that's how I felt. And it was interesting to then be on the opposite side of it. I thought about Jake a lot when it, it happened to me and my cancer was not very serious at all. You know, I. Well, it's still cancer. Yeah, it's, I mean, I had I had surgery, but that was it. I didn't have chemo. Mm -hmm. uh, I was back to work two or three weeks later. Um, it really shook me up, and it really like changed how I felt about life. Uh, and that's why I got my tattoo. Um, like, I have 30 tattooed on my arm in Klingon. This happened right before my 30th birthday. Oh, my God, Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> have I told, I've told you that, right? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, my God, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Why is Klingon lettering so pretty i actually so i when i had i mean i had surgery i had a testicle removed and i decided that i wanted to add something to my body because something had been taken away and that's like and a tattoo was you know what i wanted to do i'd wow. never i'd never wanted a tattoo before i'd never uh thought of anything that i'd want permanent on me but then what i realized is that i wanted to mark the moment because it was my way of saying to myself that, uh, because when you, when you have cancer, the fear is that it will come back. And I had a very difficult time getting that out of my mind. Uh, yeah. Cause I had the option to do chemo and chose not to because 80% of people with testicular cancer will never need chemo. Um, and it's such a rough process. And it's such a rough process. But if you do it, then it's kind of an insurance policy that your cancer won't come back because right. the cancer often spreads to the lymph nodes of your stomach. Uh, but in that case, the solution is to do chemo. So it makes sense to me that if chemo is the outcome of getting cancer, I'd have to do it either way. So why don't I just wait and see if I need it? And so far, uh, so good. I get checked constantly and there's been no other signs. So it's been a year, very good chance I will not need to do chemo, which oh, is good. awesome. But if I do need to do chemo, um, I feel pretty prepared mentally, um, There's which all is sorts bullshit. Of... Like I said, as soon as I said yeah. that, I'm like, fuck, I have no idea what it would be There's like. There's all you know? sorts of fun wigs out there. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I, I have a, a friend who's been through chemo and, and it was incredibly hard on her and she's doing great. She's very healthy now. I was going to, I think, are you talking about Carrie? Mm -hmm. Because she's talking about cancer at Ignite Seattle. Really? This month sometime really? and i heard about that i don't know her very well but we she was at the video shoot for for relativity for relativity that's right you were yeah. also in my music video. so yeah so yeah. that's um and you're in time child too i think you're one of the only people who's in both oh he -he. yeah 
notoriety. Yeah, so that's like the most time I've ever spent with Carrie, but she's a really yeah. cool person. And then I saw on Facebook that she's doing this talk at Ignite Seattle about cancer, and I didn't realize she was a cancer survivor. Yeah. So that's why that's the only reason why I felt like it was okay to see her name because she's like associating yeah. herself with that. Um, but yeah, she was really should... helpful when I went through this, like because she her she went through like the real deal, you know. Like whereas I I said this to her and she's like yours is the real deal too, but I you know. Mine was the real deal and that it was a thing that happened, but hers was like what you imagine cancer being like, yeah. where mine was, I, I think when, when people think of cancer, they don't think of just having surgery and then being okay right after. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. maybe, yeah, we could look up what the date on that is. I feel like it's happening at town hall or something sometime this month. Yeah. I'll check with her before I post up this podcast and see if she wants some, uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah. some plugging and then I'll some put it up plugging. on my website. Cool. Um, but yeah, people look at you totally differently and it's really awkward where people, you see like a difference in the way your friends look at you. Um, and I have so many wonderful people in my life that, uh, it, it was more kind of the, uh, the fringe people in my life that found out about it, that, that looked at me differently. But I felt like my, my real close friends, most of them were like so wonderful about it, you know, and like so supportive. Um, I always just forget about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is great. That's what I want. You okay, know? good. <laughs> uh, and I off, I didn't tell a lot of people about it until after I was already like healthy because I, um, it's a lot easier to give someone bad news when you look healthy, you know, yeah. then they don't freak out as much. Yeah. Uh, but every once in a while I'll use it as like, like I went on this date with this girl who was really annoying me. Um, she, <laughs> she was just ridiculous. Like she uh, was talking about, um, I God, I hope she never listens to this. I hope she does. <laughs> she was basically, basically talking about the fact that, Hey Miles, Miles, Miles is here. Yes. Miles is a dog for everyone listening. Um, <laughs> he's also an engineer. Yeah. He's the audio engineer for this podcast. Yes. Which is why it sounds great. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was a little rough myself. Ah, <laughs> good one. Sorry. Um, so we went on this date, and she was talking about how she's always broke, but she doesn't want to be a part of the system, so she doesn't want to get a job. I'm like, this is ridiculous, you know. She wants to. She does like freelancing for money, but she doesn't uh, get work. So I, I was just really frustrated by the whole thing. But then she kept talking about how hard it is to be a single mom and to. Uh, she's a mom. Yeah. I'm like, you need to make some money for your kid, you know? Yeah, seriously. But you need to, like, we, we all live in this country and we all want to be artists, right? Yeah. And you just got to make it work. You yeah. got to find a way to make your life work. Yeah. I'm, I work at a cat hotel and yeah. at a live action room escape game. And then in my spare time, I get to do stuff like be directed by you in a music video, which yeah. by the way, was like one of my favorite creative experiences. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. You did a great job on that. So. You did a great job. No, that. you did a great no, job you did a great on great it job. <laughs> and in it. Um, so this is like one of the only times I ever did this, but she kept going on about how hard her life was. And I, I've had some hard shit happen to me. And at one point I was like, I just had cancer. <laughs> yeah. And I like the look on her face, her face just like dropped, you know? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but like smirk a little. I, it's such a horrible thing to do. But <laughs> Not I couldn't really. help it. I mean, you did just have cancer. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm one of those people where like every time something bad happens to me, uh, I do go through my period of depression and I do go through my period of um, 
struggle with it, but I always pull myself out of it. You know, I always make the decision that I want to be happy and healthy and productive. And then you just fucking do it. You know, just do it. Yeah. There's nothing that can stop you from being happy, healthy and productive if you decide that you want to. Uh, So all like talking to her, everything that was in her way was something that she had control over, but she was choosing not to. And I know that people get stuck in that and it's really easy to get stuck in that. But I think it's also because people don't know that there is an option to get out of it. I feel like they're missing like, you know, the information or the belief that they can get themselves out of it, which I feel like, you know, that's that's, very true. They can't help that. You know, they can't, you know, you're lucky because you know that you have the control over your own mental state and that you can like change how you feel about things with process. But a lot of people don't have that knowledge. Like, and you can't do it if you don't believe it's possible. Well, it is something that I think can be learned. I've been through a couple of like serious depressions where that lasted for like when I was a kid, I was depressed for probably at least like a year, maybe two, uh, where you don't realize that you're depressed. Mm-hmm. And then after I had cancer, I was depressed for like four or five months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like legitimately in a depression where like you see the commercials on TV of like the little cartoon man who looks sad and he needs a pill like that, that kind of depression where everything is bad. Yeah. Like I was, I was a bitch to be around at work because I was upset about so much stuff and I was complaining about it constantly and then everything got worse at work because i was upset negative um, energy yeah negative energy and i re- a, a ways into this i had this weird epiphany i was like oh my god i'm depressed like i had cancer and now i'm depressed and yeah. i started laughing because <laughs> it was so normal yeah I'm like this is so normal it i'm a person and i'm normal yeah and then it just it was like gone hmm. like in the snap of a finger it was wonderful. It was a really cool experience to have. So now when I start feeling down, just the self-awareness that I, maybe I'm depressed and that's okay. Yeah. Really helps it go away. There's so much shame involved in being yeah, depressed and being unproductive. Like there's a very big stigma about mental health issues still. So I think yeah. it's important to be like, it's okay to be depressed. You know, you don't have to beat yourself up over it. It's nice if you can pull yourself out of it, but it doesn't make you a bad person. Right. Absolutely. It makes you a normal person. I yeah. think like every single Especially person. Especially in America. Like, yeah, totally. How many, what percentage of Americans are depressed right now? Like all of them? Yeah. Because so, um, we're not taught to value ourselves, which is frustrating. You know, it's interesting that you chose to remain, um, to like keep people ignorant of your cancer until you're healthy because that's like an information withholding thing <laughs> that happens a lot in yeah fantasy and sci-fi and like in real life especially with health problems for some reason people always seem to want to protect those around them from knowing about their horrible health problems i think that's because people with health problems are treated poorly Mm. when they divulge that information Mm -hmm. uh like i i mentioned this briefly on an earlier episode of the podcast where i've had some really bizarre health problems in the past um, which i still deal with uh like I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is kind of a catch-all diagnosis for you're in pain every day. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where when it first happened, like th- this was the time where I first was introduced to the idea of your friends treating you differently when you get sick. But this was back in San Diego and I didn't, uh, and I, 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 my whole social circle was gone, you know? Like I couldn't go to my job anymore. Um, and my job was at San Diego State, 
because I was doing uh, like recording for the music building. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't go into work anymore and so many, and I couldn't go to parties and I couldn't do anything. So if you wanted to see me, you had to come over, but coming over meant you're going to see me sick. Cause it was, in, it was before I was diagnosed when I was still in this like long period of being in bed all day, every day and not, and I was probably really scary to see cause I, my brain wasn't functioning correctly. So I was having trouble remembering things. I was like having muscle spasms. I was having all this weird shit happen. Aww. So these people would come over and, and I'd be horrifying to look upon. And I, I will say this, that there are people that came over and were incredibly supportive and wonderful. And those people are still in my life, you know? Yeah. Um, but so many people that I lost touch with when I moved to Seattle, I lost touch with before I came here because it was like during that period where I just kind of vanished from everyone's life. And it's weird. It's like a, I, I've talked to people who didn't know me that well and don't really know what happened. And they're like, you just vanished, you know? Like you're just like a, you're just gone. You like cocooned and came to Seattle and butterflied out as Jesse Mercury. And... Yeah, that's exactly what happened though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I came here with a new perspective on life and just kind of wanted to be reborn as a better version of myself. <laughs> um, and I, I look at, you know, my stage persona as being this ultimate version of myself. Last time I set up dating profiles, I did it as Jesse Mercury instead Ooh. of as Jesse Plack. Did you find different results? Very different. I also signed up as bisexual instead ah. of as straight. Because who I don't feel like anyone can ever really know what they are. I think the idea of picking a sexual orientation is, is very limiting. It's like picking a genre. Just be what you want to be in the moment. You know? Yeah, I it really bothers me when, yeah. when people put me on the spot about that kind of thing. Or, you know, and it was in a perfectly friendly way, but I met someone recently who all like when she met anyone else, she would ask what their preferred pronoun was. You were there for this. Yeah. And I was like, well, I, I've never had to answer this question about my preferred that pronoun. That was awkward. And yeah. yeah, like, do I have to pick one now? Can I... Can I think about it for Can a minute? Can I go with Shim? Can you just call me Naomi? Yeah. And with sexual orientation, it's the same. Like, if, yeah. if you have to pin me down, I'll say I'm bi. But I'd rather just, you know. It's like, yeah. you love whom you love. Who totally. You love. And you I, love who you love whom is around. It was. Int- I made that choice to to not be me, to be my ultimate me <laughs> on, on my dating profile. It sounds like a personal trainer, like a, a <laughs> Nike or maybe a Gatorade. Yeah, which is funny because I'm not that person <laughs> at all. But I, I'm very interested in being like the best version of myself, but not in like a, but in a very sincere way. Yeah. In a way where like being the best version of myself means like sometimes I go out and I party and, and I enjoy every moment of it because I think that's important. But uh, but then now I... I I did it kind of as a lark, but then realized that it might be true, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that I really, I stopped thinking of myself as, as a straight male after that. And I, I've only been on, this did bring about like one date with a man, um, which I surprised myself with, but I had a great time. I was really into this person and I oh. wanted to go out again and, and we didn't because of him, oh. not because of me. Oh, yeah. That makes me sad. Yeah, it made me sad too. But, oh. you know, I, all of my relationships have been with women. And I think that maybe that's something that scared him off is because he felt like I wasn't serious. And who knows if I would have been, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think part of the excitement of it was the fact that it was new and different. Man, I'm like revealing all of my deepest secrets on this podcast. It's <laughs> <This is> crazy. <laughs> You're just like bringing this out of me. What's happening? Everyone has stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm really enjoying hearing about all the different things that have made you who you are. Okay, we're going to pause right there. I'll bring you the rest of this conversation uh, next week in the next episode of the podcast. And it stays just as fucking awesome, if not maybe even more so. I, I had so much fun talking to Naomi. She and I have known each other for years. We've never sat down, just the two of us, and had a conversation like this before. And it was so fun and awesome and satisfying and great. And I just feel like I know her so much better. And it's great that I get to invite all of you into this conversation as well to listen and enjoy. We talked about our friend Carrie, who's giving a talk at Ignite Seattle. That's happening on September 17th uh, at 7 p.m. and 8 p.m.? I don't know. I'm looking at the page. It says 7 p.m. slash 8 p.m. at Town Hall Seattle. I don't know what that means. It's happening at 7 and 8 p.m. There's some sort of rift in the time-space continuum, and this event is happening at two hours on the hour. uh, Someone used a time-turner. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Uh, tickets are $5 at the door, but I will say, uh, if you remember Lindsay and Randy from my episode last week, the three of us are performing at Sketchfest, also on September 17th, also at 7 p.m. So in the spirit of not withholding information, I'm telling you about both, and then you can make an informed decision about what you want to see, or you can stay home and jerk off all night long, and that's free, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, so that's going to be it for this week's episode. Come back next week. Naomi and I are going to play a live version of Asteroid Field, and it was pure magic. You're going you're gonna to want to hear that. We'll see you then.